Will you turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 1. On a day when we have celebrated the ministers of the gospel, namely the Lebos, and on a day when we are celebrating the ministry of the gospel in the lives of those who have borne testimony before they were baptized, today in God's Word we want to focus on another minister of the gospel, and particularly the message of the gospel and why we should not be ashamed of it, but confident in it. So in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, the apostle tells us this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, thank you that you brought glory to yourself this morning through the effects of the gospel and the lives of those who were baptized, through the effect of the power of the gospel and the preaching and the teaching of the Lebos and their faithfulness in the ministry of the gospel, may we walk out of here today more confident, not in ourselves, not in our witness, but confident in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank you now in the name and through the blood of Jesus. Amen. Imagine for a minute that the gospel is a medicine, and this medicine can be placed in a vial with an RX symbol on it. And imagine it's a pill within that vial that you can give out to people, and they can get the benefit of the gospel medicine. Also imagine that typically as you get that vial of medicine from your doctor, there are instructions that you can understand. For example, take this twice a day with a meal for seven days. But then when you try to figure out what exactly it's going to do to you, and you look at the little script in two-point font, <laughs> you end up on the internet. And you Google the Cleveland Clinic, or the Mayo Clinic, or Johns Hopkins. And at that point, you figure out, what happens to me if I take this pill? The Apostle Paul is beginning in, Gen in Romans chapter 1, to describe to us the medicine of the gospel, what the gospel does, and the entire book is a description and explanation of how the gospel works. He starts out by saying, I'm not ashamed to use this medicine and to encourage you to do so. He then takes the next 16 chapters to describe for us, number one, why people need the medicine, but why they don't want to take it, chapters 1 to 3, the sin problem. In chapters 3 to 5, Paul then goes into the question, if you're going to take it, you must understand how, and that's salvation. In chapters 5 to 8, he then describes what we call sanctification, or if you take this pill and it saves you, what's going to happen to you afterwards? You're going to grow. And then in chapters 9 to 11, sovereignty. Why do some people take the pill? and others do not. And then in chapters 12 to 14, 
the effects of that pill, the gospel born in your life through sanctification, will ultimately lead you to service for Christ. And then in finality, you will end up in heaven with him in glorification. And so Paul then is laying out for us in the entire book the effects of the gospel, how to get it, what it does, and where it's leading. We call those, doctrinally speaking, justification, being saved from the penalty of sin, sanctification, being saved from the power of sin, and finally, glorification, being saved from the presence of sin. So imagine again that we have this pill, and we all are given a vial just as before we leave today. And in it is a vial of pills that you can hand out, physical pills. And what if these physical pills, unlike the gospel, but what if these pills you left with today did three things? Number one, whoever took it would be immediately cured from whatever illness they had. Secondly, after taking it, it will begin to build massive health to the point they're going to look like me. (laughs) And thirdly, after they waited and the effects took place, the final thing would be that pill would make it so that they could never be sick again. That's the gospel. You take it and you're justified and you're immediately cured from the penalty of the wrath of God. It begins to do its work in sanctification, and you become more like Christ in this life. And then finally, again, in glorification, you're taken from the presence of sin, and you will never be sick again. Now, if we had that kind of pill, and you know where I'm going with this, and we left here today and we started giving it out, I'd be down at the Anne Arundel Mall, personally, this afternoon with some sort of speakerphone, and I would be saying this, I have a pill that if you take it, you will never be sick again. Right? And so the Apostle Paul is laying out for us why he is doing that. Why is he on the street? Why is he preaching? Why is he going? And this is not a talk about evangelism as such. This is a talk to Christians. Paul wrote to the Christians, and he even said in verses 8 to 15, I would really love to come and visit and preach the gospel to you in Rome. The Roman church at this point is at least 24 years old, mature Christians. Why does he want to preach the gospel again to them? because he wants to remind them of the glory of Christ in their own life. He wants to see that sanctification continue, and he wants them to have the hope of the gospel to share with other people. And so in simple fashion, I want to take you now through those two verses. All right? Jim, do you like that? We're going to cover two verses today. We're good. (laughs) Keep it simple. So let's launch in. Let me again read verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, what is he talking about? He's talking about the euangelion, the Greek word that means the good news. Well, if there's good news, there has to be bad news. 
And so that is that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that as sinners we will be judged and all of us will die spiritually, and therefore the good news is the answer to that. You know, we live in a day, though, when the word gospel has now become an adjective. Uh, gospel church, gospel music, gospel pizza. People use it in an adjectival way, but it is a noun as well. The gospel has content as the gospel. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4, what the gospel is. Let me remind you by reading it. Now, I make known to you, brethren, Paul says, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain or falsely. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, Paul said, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I've done a lot of membership interviews over the last 40 years as a pastor. Always in that membership interview, you ask the question, so tell me, how did you come to know Jesus as your personal Savior? And what I always tell people, and many of you, I've done your interviews here, I always tell people one thing. Before you answer, you must know this, that whatever you answer I'm going to ask you questions as if I don't believe you. Because not everyone is clear, and it's been my experience that when asking, how did you come to know Christ as your Savior, you get all kinds of answers that don't have that clarity. So the importance of the resurrection. Why is the resurrection in here? Isn't the atoning work or the, the work of Christ and propitiation on the cross sufficient? Yes. But the atonement is also demonstrated in the resurrection. It declares our, his eternal sonship. It interprets Christ's death for us. It assures our resurrection, and it points to Christ coming again. So before I get into why was Paul not ashamed, let me talk about being shamed. I don't know what grade it was, but it was Miami, Florida, and it was outdoors. I remember that. And it was during school day. And so our teacher had us out there, and we were doing gymnastic-y things in preparation for the President's Award. It's like 1960s, you know what I'm talking about? You're preparing, you're doing jumping jacks, and okay. So I wasn't really paying attention when the teacher was asking questions. I was talking to a friend. They said, how many of you think you could come up front and do five pull-ups in front of everyone? And I was like, I had my hand up. And I'm talking to my friend. And I didn't know the teacher's going 5, 10, 15, 20, whatever. <laughs> and so by the time, right? Yeah. By the time the teacher actually was like, okay, Mr. Doyle. And I was like, what? He's like, oh, please come up here and demonstrate that you can do, I don't know how many it was, 25, 50, I don't even know. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> and so I get to the front, and embarrassingly, I do like three. <laughs> you know, I'm like, And so, in that moment, I understood what shame was. <laughs> shame is that feeling, according to the Oxford Dictionary, of embarrassment or guilt because of one's actions, characteristics or associations, 
and then we become reluctant to do something later because of fear of humiliation. Sometimes we're shamed because we make boast of things we can't do, and then we are found out. Sometimes we are ashamed because we vouch for someone, and they fall short. Uh, Sometimes we are ashamed because we believed heavily in something, and it wasn't what we thought. And sometimes our own failures of character bring personal shame on ourselves. So when Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, don't hear him saying, I'm a courageous person. Because courage and the lack of shame in this case are different. Paul's confidence, the flip side of shame, being confident that something will be what you think it's supposed to be, or it will do what you think it's supposed to do, Paul's confidence in the gospel is obviously not based on his own experiences or what he can do but his confidence is in the message of the gospel. And why is that? (sighs) Do I want to say that? Yes. Yes, I do. No, I don't. I'm going to go on. Um, So Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the power of the gospel. Look at the verse again. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. Uh, What Paul is telling us, and you know the Greek word dunamos, and some people have tried to make it dynamite, but the gospel doesn't blow people up. It puts them back together. It is the power of God, but here's the rub. You could leave here today saying, God's going to use the gospel, it's powerful. And you can preach it, and you can teach it to others and hand out tracts, and then people don't believe. And so it seems like the word of God has failed. I unleashed it. I put a lion on the street and it didn't work. People lose confidence in the gospel. They're shamed by their efforts for the gospel and then figure out, well, God didn't show up or didn't work because we misunderstand what Paul is saying, what the rest of the book of Romans tells us. Namely, the gospel is powerful. It's an agent of power that creates salvation in your life. But you must take it, you must take this medicine with faith. That's what Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Taking the medicine of the gospel doesn't work unless you take it according directions. It is possible to go to church your whole life, hear the gospel, and place that experience of the gospel in there, and put it up in a medicine chest inside your mind. I could use this sometime. You know, it's like taking antibiotics and buying them and not using them, and then going, hey, one day when I go on a cruise, I might pull these out. But that is what people will do. They'll attend church, they'll take the vial of the gospel, they'll place it in a mental category and say, there it is, I can use that anytime, I'll come back to that. And Paul's point is that it only works if you believe it. In 1 Corinthians, he tells us there's a difference. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Paul says that we are to look at this, that the gospel is that which we have confidence in. Why? Because it works. 
but it works with faith. Then Paul goes on in the book of Romans to explain how faith comes to us by the work of God. But Paul says to believe. So I want to stop there for a minute. Look at my dear audience, my brothers and sisters. And today is my last sermon at Hope Bible Church. Don't start clapping. (laughs) And so I want to bear down on this, the gospel. And I'm going to say something I've said in my class. I'm going to say it here publicly. Do not go to hell from Hope Bible Church. The gospel's preached here faithfully. It's witnessed too. I want to say today, what will I want to do in my last sermon to preach Christ and the gospel? And so we must believe it. Let me reiterate the importance of that. To not be religious, to not grow up in it, to not slide through it. We all know that Protestants teach, because the scriptures teaches, that there's three aspects to saving faith, or there's three aspects, if you will, for the medicine to actually be activated. Knowledge, assent, and trust. You must know the gospel facts. They must be clear. You must assent to them. I agree, and I need that. But then you must trust it also. Let me explain. My brother John, um, before uh, he was a Christian and I became a Christian, I used to witness to him on a regular basis, and he would get upset and he'd stop talking to me about it, and then we'd come back. And on one occasion, my brother came to me and he said, Dave, I've been really thinking about it, and I've been praying about it, and I've been reading the Bible. And I'm like, praying about it? We grew up Catholic. And he said, I've come to believe that Jesus Christ is Almighty God. He came in human flesh. He died on the cross. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. And he said, and furthermore, I've come to believe that I am a sinner, that I need salvation, and the only way I'm going to heaven is through Jesus Christ. I was like, yes! And then he said, and I could care less. You're not saved by knowing the first two things, right? You know the gospel. You know you need it even. You even admit that I'm lost without that thing, but I will not bow my knee to Jesus Christ. I'll be the king of my own life. And so my brother did eventually, by God's grace, come to saving faith. But I acknowledge that in so many lives, it's possible to get to that point without true trust in who Christ is. So today, I want to encourage you, if you have been in this church and you have grown up in the youth group or you have been an adult member here or whatever, and you do not see in your own life the joy, the change, the sanctification stuff going on, and it's not real to you, it's just a thing. Today's the day. Make it real. Respond to the Lord calling you in your life to listen to him, to come under that conviction, and to trust. What would that look like? Use this illustration a million times. Here we go. The chair. All right? If I put a chair up here and I say, do you believe that's a chair? Yes. Do you believe this chair will hold people up if they sit in it? Yes, I've watched people sit in it a million times. Do you believe that if you sat in it, it would hold you up? Oh, yes. 
That chair is awesome. Have you ever sat in that chair? Nope. That's what lack of trust is in the gospel. Take the pill illustration. You believe this pill could heal people? Oh, yeah, I've seen it happen. Do you believe blah, blah, blah? Yes. Have you ever taken the pill? No. And so the issue is, have you come to a place in your life where on a life you never lived and on a death you never died, you're staking your entire eternity? A life you never lived, a death you never died, you're going to stake your entire eternity. It's not how much faith it is, it's the object of your faith. Have you placed your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross who died in your place for your sins to give you eternal life if you will place your trust in him and him alone? Friend, believe. Believe. Well, Paul's further brings us into, he's not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel works. It's true. He might be ashamed of his presentation of it, but he's not ashamed of the content of it. And then he goes on, because it's to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, this can mean chronologically. Uh, It was certainly preached in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. Uh, It can also mean a priority of promise, not a priority of people. Uh, To the Jews first does not mean, oh, the Jews are better and the Gentiles were just bad, but everybody's a sinner, according to Romans, but rather is a priority of promise. God promised them the new covenant and Abrahamic covenant, and so there's a priority of that. To the Jews first, they were promised and it was preached, and then secondarily to the Gentiles. Well, verse 17, let me read that to you as we go on. Because Paul says, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live, or the righteous man shall live by faith. I think when it's talking here, what from faith to faith, and the righteous shall live by faith, it's actually something of a parallel between the Jews and the Gentiles that are mentioned above. That is, Paul is saying the righteousness which is in the gospel, which we'll talk about in a second, has always been the case that you're always been saved by faith and not by works, either in the Old Testament or the New. Paul's saying from faith, the faith of the Old Testament, Abraham, to the faith now, it's always been by faith, is one of the ways to look at that. It's also possible that Paul is saying here, from your beginning of your faith, through your sanctification to your glorification, from faith to ultimate end of your faith, it's possible that Paul is also describing that. And some people have said, from your faith to others' faith. Uh, in the gospel witness. That's also possible by the wording. But the point of it is that Paul is telling us that this gospel has always been the case, and we have always been saved by faith and never by works. And so what then is the righteousness of God? This is where Martin Luther, of course, got stuck. Uh, Luther got stuck on what is the righteousness of God. As you know, when Luther was a monk not saved, uh, he asked if he could teach uh, theology, and so he got a doctorate, and he became a professor of theology as an unsaved person. That seems like a lot of religion teachers in our universities today. And so Luther went about teaching, and he taught the book of Psalms, he taught Hebrews, and then he taught the book of Romans. And it was, of course, when he was preparing the book of Romans, he got to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, And it says, 
in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And Luther said, I hate the righteousness of God. I hate the gospel. Why? Because he saw it as the Old Testament already tells me that God is righteous and that I'm a sinner and I cannot be saved because there's no grace. He says, how is the gospel good news if what it tells me is God is righteous? In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. I'm double dead. There's no good news. But then in studying it further and saying, oh, and it says, just as the Old Testament says, the righteous will live by faith, made alive by faith, and given God's righteousness, he understood this. The righteousness of God in this passage is not talking about God's intrinsic personal righteousness or holiness, but rather the imputed righteousness or the given or credited righteousness which God puts on the account of sinners who believe. And at that point, he said, it was like heaven opened up and his soul became like one in paradise. I can't leave without reading from the Westminster Confession. It's a requirement. And so this is what the Westminster Confession says on the issue of justification. Those whom God effectually calleth, King James, he also freely justifieth, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone nor by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other quote-unquote evangelical obedience to them, your faith doesn't merit anything, as their righteousness, but by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them. They receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, is a gift of God. It's a simple message today. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God, activated by faith, that causes that threefold salvation. And that in it, the gospel is the righteousness of God given to our account that we don't have to earn. It is that gospel, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that, no matter what shame is brought on him. You realize that wherever Paul went, he was shamed for preaching the gospel. Uh, he was stoned, he was imprisoned, he was rejected, he was put down in a basket to get away from persecution. Paul was shamed publicly, but not ashamed of the message. So, simple application. Preach the gospel in whatever way you can. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness to us in Christ. We thank you for the gospel that we do not have to be ashamed of its message. That you use it, it never fails in anything that you have sent it to do. That the gospel always has its way when backed with the sovereign election of God, the work of the Spirit, and then a caused faith in the heart of the recipient that activates this beautiful justification that leads to sanctification and glorification. Lord, as those who have received that, as we've seen in the baptisms today, may we rejoice in that. May we have greater confidence in the gospel and from that confidence to be projected out of here to pray for others, to plan to give the gospel out, 
and ultimately to share that gospel with the world of sinners just like ourselves. Lord, I love you. Thank you for this church. I pray that in uh, the rest of this day, we find that it would glorify you and bring glory to your name in Jesus' name. Amen.